Welcome to the Milwaukee Sports Performance Podcast. We are your hosts, Michael and Lauren Falk. We are physical therapists, athletic trainers, and strength and conditioning coaches at Kinetic Sports Medicine and Performance. We will be talking all things related to athletic performance for Milwaukee area athletes. Sports medicine, performance training, sports nutrition, recovery, and sports coaching. There's a lot of misinformation and myths surrounding athletic performance and injuries. This podcast is designed to bring current, factual, and evidence-based information to Milwaukee area athletes. Welcome to another episode of the Milwaukee Sports Performance Podcast. Today I'm joined by Max. Max is the pitching coach at Milwaukee Riverside High School and a coach for Milwaukee RBI. Max is a college pitcher at Washington University in St. Louis. After college, he moved to Milwaukee and uh, became a teacher at the Milwaukee Academy of Science, a charter school in Milwaukee, while earning his master's in education from Marquette University. During that time, he was interested in coaching baseball and began volunteering to coach at Milwaukee Riverside High School. He is very passionate about helping young players develop, particularly about creating opportunities for inner city youth to develop as baseball players. He's very progressive with his pitching instruction, and in an effort to continue to learn and improve, he recently completed the driveline baseball pitching certification. So welcome to the show, Max, and thanks for your time and coming on the podcast. I'm excited to talk about baseball and pitching today. Yeah, thanks for having me. Looking forward to it. Yeah, absolutely. So can you give me a little bit of your baseball history and how you kind of ended up at uh, Wash U? Yeah, so um, I grew up, obviously, playing baseball, left in the sport, did the whole travel ball, um, you know, showcase life, you know, as I was coming up in high school and um, got at a showcase out in Long Island, a kind of an academic type showcase. I got uh, recruited by WashU and um, was actually recruited first as a hitter, as a third baseman primarily, um, who had a little bit of experience pitching, but I was mostly a corner infielder, kind of middle of the lineup hitter, um, and then moved out to St. Louis um, for my schooling, and then the first fall season, kind of a freshman uh, in over my head, sort of got a little heady, started slumping pretty hard, and uh, you know, uh, quickly coach gave me an ultimatum. Um, the former coach, the, uh, the new coach there is, uh, wasn't, wasn't there at the time, but the former coach gave me an ultimatum and he basically was like, got to get a hit this weekend in fall ball or else we're making you a PO and the rest <laughs> is history. So, uh, made the, made the transition to a pitcher only. I was kind of like, a, I was mostly a relief guy. Um, they called me, I kind of had a joke of being a curveball specialist because I had a pretty, pretty solid curveball. But um, yeah, spent my, spent three years as a pitcher there. Uh, got really sick my junior year, um, hospitalized for a few years, had a bad um, allergic reaction to some antibiotics I was on and, you know, kind of reset some things for me. And I ended up not playing my senior year. Um, but yeah, that's sort of my baseball journey. A lot of the you know, my closest friends, best friends in the whole world are still, um, the guys I played with either in college or before that in high school or travel ball. And, you know, it's funny. I was, I keep running into guys that I, Oh, I got kicked out there for a minute. I'm back. Okay. But uh, I was saying, I, uh, 
I keep running into guys that I, I, I grew up playing with. So there's, you know, some of my friends are coaching at different colleges or, um, you know, doing different things in the baseball community. I was in Nashville at the ABCA um, in January and I was at a panel and a former coach of mine uh, from WashU was running the panel. And it was just, you know, baseball is a small world and I feel really fortunate and lucky to, to kind of be in it. And uh, I think it's a really, you know, phenomenal community and I'm just, yeah, it's kind of my kind of my whole path there. Yeah, that's awesome. How was uh how was the ABCA? That's something I haven't been to, but I definitely uh definitely want to get down to. Oh, it's it's the best. I mean, it's like it's <laughs> it's just phenomenal from top to bottom the whole time. I mean, you just you interact with these world-class coaches. You know, I ran into coach Beck. It's just walking down the hallway and, you know, you get to say hi and everybody's willing to share information and everybody's willing to to help you. And it's really, a it's a great culture. The, the coaching community in baseball is such a good culture. And it, you know, when I was growing up, a lot of it felt like, you know, that like I, this guy's got the secret sauce or this facility is, is like, I'm, I'm a, you know, I work with this guy, this is my, you know, mentor. And this is like who I'm, who I'm gonna, you know, I believe him and that's just him. And it's sort of changing, I think my perception at least. And I think it's changing for the better where, a lot of knowledge is being shared freely and um, there's just, there's like an infinite amount of resources that you can tap into now as a coach and ranging from, you know, online or in-person certification classes like the driveline one I did to like just reading blog posts to literally just sending emails to these coaches at colleges and just like, Hey, like here's something I'm working, dealing with. How have you dealt with that in the past? And like the amount of just like feedback and, and, uh, and help that you can get from these guys who've been in the, in the field, just experts in the field for forever. It's just awesome. It's just really, I think unique and special and something I really, really, really enjoy about, about baseball. Yeah. That's awesome. So after college, what, uh, what brought you back to, to Milwaukee and how'd you end up uh, getting into coaching now? Sure. So my uh, senior year, uh, so my goal was to go to medical school right after college. So my senior year, I focused on, getting together a med school application, sort of doing work to beef up an application. Um, took the MCAT, did pretty well on it. Um, but I just wasn't super thrilled about jumping right back into school. I wanted to kind of take a year and at least one year and kind of take a gap year and sort of focus on some other things. I also felt like it would beef up my med school application a little bit. Um, and I, and I was sort of floating around a lot of different ideas. Um, one of the things that kind of interests me was this idea of working with kids and teaching. And, and so sort of some opportunity came my way. Um, I was approached by like a recruiter on campus about applying for this program and I applied and, and uh, sure enough, I got placed here in Milwaukee. Um, so I moved to Milwaukee in the summer of 2017, um, did some sort of fast track teaching preparation, um, quickly enrolled in a master's program in education to sort of get that formal teaching education that, that you need to, to be a teacher in the state and, um, and got a job at Milwaukee Academy of Science, which is a little public charter school, like 21st Kilbourne, right by Marquette and uh, teach high school. I've taught science there primarily, but I also teach, I've taught a couple math classes too. So um, it was something I thought would be a two year gig, but you know, it was right away. I mean, the first couple of weeks I realized, wow, number one, I really enjoy 
working with kids in this like one-on-one and, and small group. And I really enjoy teaching and, and the process of kind of watching kids grow and, and learn and, and, and this isn't going to be a temporary thing for me. So I sort of shifted my expectations or, or my goals and, and shifted them away from med school. Um, I let my MCAT expire and I sort of doubled down on teaching and coaching. Um, I guess I'll talk a little bit about how I got into coaching here. I uh, must have been, I don't know, January um, 2018 or yeah, 2018 probably. I reached out. I started, I just started uh, missing baseball. I started missing being around the field and um, I, I reached out to actually the head coach at, um, at Riverside, Coach Turner, Coach Matt Turner. And um, I just said, hey, uh, you know, I'm a former pitcher from WashU and just looking to get back on a field. If there's anything you guys need, I would love to, to, to hang out and help out as, as much as I can. And uh, just let me know if there's any opportunity. And I think he sent me an email back two hours later. And it was basically like, yeah, we're actually looking for a pitching coach right now. So this is, this is perfect. Um, so I interviewed that weekend. By the following week, I was at Open Gym. or I think it was actually maybe the first week of practice. And we started, uh, we started getting after it with pitchers and catchers. And that's been a really great fit for me. I, um, I am really, really lucky to have the coaching staff at Riverside that I have, the head coach is somebody who is constantly learning and constantly thinking about how things can be improved. He's hyper-organized and um, just really an effective and competent um, head coach. And then we've got two great assistants as well as me. So we've got coach Tom Meyer, who's just a legend in the Wisconsin baseball uh, community. He former head coach at Madison. He, uh, I believe he's a founding member of the, the Wisconsin Baseball Coaches Association. Um, and then Coach Earl Jackson, who's also just a great, a great guy, great athlete, great role model. I mean, just a really, really high quality, high caliber individual. So I'm, I'm really lucky to be in an organization that um, encouraged kind of new ways of thinking about problems and, and sort of wasn't opposed to introducing, you know, kind of what you said, progressive ideas in that. Uh, in into pitch pitch uh pitch and hitting development um obviously my focus has been primarily pitching but you know we're trying to implement as many data-driven practices in the hitting and fielding side as well um so really kind of i feel very lucky and fortunate to kind of fall into that situation but it's been just you know a really really great relationship and, and experience so far yeah no that's awesome man that's uh yeah. it's really good so I really want to uh, kind of dive into the pitching side with you today. Sure. Um, so, you know, I know you recently finished up the pitching certification through driveline. Obviously most baseball people are probably at least loosely familiar with driveline, but um, for yeah. those that aren't aware of, of what it is, can you talk about what driveline is and, and what the process of going through their pitching certification was like? Yeah. So driveline is, uh, man, it's, they're kind of their own thing now with uh, sort of, <laughs> their recent acquisition of, of modus and, but they, they're a company out of Seattle, Kent, Washington, I guess, more specifically, um, who focuses on player development. Um, they're really well known for sort of their implements that they, that they sell. So their their plyo balls, their weighted balls. Um, I think they're also probably well known for, um, you know, 
using research to support the claims they're making. So what I really appreciate as somebody who has a science background, I really appreciate the fact that, you know, they're stress testing these ideas that they have. Um, and it's been cool to see like them even modify their ideas that they've previously held after they've like actually run some of these things through the ringer. So a great example is like their rocker drill. They did some testing and they, they realized they weren't getting quite the results that they expected to get. So they sort of modified how they programmed those or even omitted them altogether, depending on the athlete. But um, yeah, they're basically just a, I wouldn't call them a facility. They have a facility, but you know, they're a lot more than that. They're, they're selling or creating uh, information um, as well as a system for guys to, to get better. Um, and, and, and do so with using practices that are pretty well founded by data, by data. So, um, I don't know if I did a good job explaining that. You should look them up. I mean, there's, their blog posts are great. Their Twitter is just, you know, unbelievable. It's just a lot of stuff that they have is free. They have like some premium content too, but you can get, you can get a ton out of, out of them, uh, just by, you know, look, reading their free blog. I mean, there's a lot of great, great stuff. No, that's awesome. And then what was the, what was the pitching uh, cert like? Isn't there, It's like a little bit online and then you actually have to go out there for a weekend or something like that? Yeah. So it's two parts. The first part was um, like a 30 module, about 30, it might've been more or less. I don't quite remember, but it's about 30 modules. Um, each module was about eight. There was an eight to 15 minute video that you had to watch on a variety of topics. Um, starting with, things like energetic systems, like stuff that you would get in like a PT program, Yeah. moving to mechanics, moving to, to drill work, moving to um, programming um, and, and sort of, I'm missing some things, but just like a lot of miscellaneous, you know, aspects that come to uh, sort of everything surrounding pitching. So that, that took, uh, that took me a couple of weeks to finish just cause you know, I was, I was uh, obviously teaching full time and, you know, at that point I was done with grad school, but still just very busy with some other things. So I got that wrapped up in the summer. Actually, you know what? I was still finishing a grad school class too, but uh, I got that wrapped up in this. Yeah. I got that wrapped up in the summer and then I saved up some money to, to, to get out to Seattle to do the practical. So um, the practical assessment was also super cool, really, frankly, intense. Um, Basically, you, you, uh, you're in a conference room at a hotel. At least that's what we did. I'm sure they're modifying now for, uh, for the COVID stuff. But uh, we were at a conference room. It was about 30 guys ranging from high school coaches, uh, facility owners, to uh, head of player development for the Brewers was there. Head pitching coach from Oregon State was there. Um, guy who does catching development for the Reds was there. So a wide variety of coaches, uh, coordinators, um, facility owners um pts were a couple pts were there so just a lot of different types of people there from a lot every different level um and we would basically start at about 8 a.m and we'd finish up about 7 8 p.m and it was just a lot of lecture um but a lot of like very engaged lecture so there was a lot of what we would call in the teaching uh, community cold calling where you know they'll pose a question and they'll just go down the list and maybe they'll call on you. Maybe they'll call on, you know, a guy who works for the Mets and 
you're expected to answer. You know what I mean? You're not, you're expected to answer and have a growth mindset about it. And if you get it wrong, you get it wrong, but that's kind of how you learn. You know what I mean? So you, it was, it was pretty stressful and, and frankly kind of intimidating to be in a room with uh, people who, you know, you, you read about in like on, on Twitter, or, you know, it was, it was very intimidating, but you got there and you realized, all right, everybody here has got an open mind. And, and again, everybody's willing to share and kind of, help you get better and help you in your context. And it was, it was, it was really, really cool. And so once you do two days of that lecture and then afterwards you take a test. So I, I don't know if I mentioned this, but each module um, you take a little test afterwards. You basically have to pass with an 80% um, to move on to the next, the next module. And, and that was the case with the practical. There was a big test that I ended up taking um, in the airport as I was about to fly back to Milwaukee. And uh um, it's about, you got to get an 80% um, as well. And it, it's challenging. It's not, it's no joke. And it's, uh, there's a lot, it's a lot of information. And I, like I, by, I'm by no means an expert in it, but uh, it was really helpful to, to go and to, to sort of see other people doing it in different contexts. And just, I mean, I love to learn about this stuff. It's so cool. And then, and then bringing that back and thinking about how you can apply these concepts into my context. So what will this look like for my high school guys who don't maybe have a facility to go to, or like maybe I'm only going to get to work with them for a couple of weeks or okay. Like I can give them stuff to do remote, but like they're not all going to go out. Like, like we can't get plyo sets for every kid. You know, we can have maybe two plyo sets for the team. So what does that look like? How do we apply that to our context? It was an interesting challenge, but, um, it was, it was really, really helpful. I'd recommend it. It's a little, I mean, it's expensive. I ended up taking my whole, I got a bonus when I signed my teaching contract. And I just took the whole bonus and just boom, threw it to that. So it's, it's not, it's not inexpensive, but I, I thought that it was super valuable. And, and uh, I know right now they're offering like a discount because of the coronavirus. So yeah. Awesome. Get, your, get on it while you can, because yeah, it's sweet. I also actually recently, with us being cooped up here, I just finished the pitch design course too, which is super different. Um, sort of high level thinking about implementing, you know, uh, like technology like Rapsodo or TrackMan, and, and thinking about how you would use that data to actually shape different pitches or or think about spin rate and spin efficiency and things like that. So that was really cool too. Very different. Um, I think if you can afford it, do the practical. Uh, or the foundations of pitching rather just the, the the straight up one because that is like so much knowledge it's like drinking out of a fire hose is awesome yeah no that's awesome so uh kind of sort of sets us up for or for leading us into my next question what's uh it's kind of your philosophy as you're working with uh you know your your age group is kind of high school so if you're working with a high school yeah. pitcher um what's your philosophy on trying to help them develop yeah i think um you know, there's a few, <laughs> there's like the practical and then there's kind of like the philosophical. I think first and foremost, you got to, you know, I try to approach teaching like this too, but it's all about building that trust and that relationship, like first and foremost. And I think that's done in a variety of ways. People, I think, hear that and think about, you know, like I'm going to be buddy buddies with everybody. And that's not necessarily what I mean. What I mean is like every time I, I give an athlete a cue or I explain an athlete a drill or what we're doing, I, I can justify like the choices I'm making, right? Like, 
all right, this is what we're going to work on for the next two weeks. This is why we're going to work on it. Um, we're going to reevaluate then, and then we'll either go here to here. Here's why we're going to do that. So I can say like, hey, we're going to do this drill because you're struggling um, with your, uh, you know, whatever, with your trunk stack. So we're going to do some rocker drills. And, and here's the thing I want you to focus on. But every single, every single time I make sure, number one, I'm, I'm explaining with the reason. Um, why I'm, I'm, I'm assigning some type of drill, right? And I think that goes a long way to build trust. And then I also think like just being honest with the athlete, like first and foremost is like priority number one. So just building that, that good relationship. And then from a practical standpoint, um, I, I think you need to have a, you need, especially with younger guys, like freshmen and, and, and sophomores, like you have to have a background in strength like everything needs to be built off of a base of strength. So if you're not doing strength work, like I think you're, I think you're selling yourself short and I think you're setting yourself up for bad habits and injury. Um, I try to, when I program things in the off season, you know, and just give it to the kids to work on, I can't, you know, work. I can work on them with, I can't do spit baseball specific things with them, obviously, but I can make sure they're, you know, lifting and, and being safe. So when I'm programming a kid, I'm thinking about, all right, what are, what are ways I'm going to get this kid functionally strong, especially if he's got no history of lifting. So like, I've got some juniors or seniors who can, who can move a little bit of weight, but like, I just want to make sure everybody's got that foundation of strength so that we can develop speed and power and all the things that you need and mobility too. And all those things that you need to be uh, a functional athlete. Um, I like that because I like having athletes. So like, I'm also a big believer in developing guys like let, let athletes be athletes. And I know I was told my whole life that pitchers aren't athletes and I get that. <laughs> so, you know, but I'm always amazed when I kind of get out of the way um, and sort of let the athlete figure out what works for them. So, you know, you talk about pitch mechanics and there's different parts of mechanics that are really important. And it's important that, you know, I'm looking for certain things and I'll make certain adjustments, especially when I'm like going over video with guys, but guys will find the efficient, your body will find the, the efficient path for your body. Right. And so sometimes, you know, an athlete maybe will do a thing that looks very different than another athlete, but it's actually a really, their body's really doing something really smart to, to, help them throw more efficiently without injury or to actually throw the ball hard. Yeah. So I'm a big believer in getting out of the way as much, as much as I can. I'm not saying hands off, but I'm saying, you know, let the athlete be an athlete. I'm not going to sit there and give a kid a million cues and, and give him a redirection on every single throw. I'll give him one cue and we'll let it ride and we'll see how that goes. And if they're a really good athlete, maybe I'll give them a second cue if that's not working, but especially guys who don't have much experience training or are, underdeveloped or just not super athletic yet you know i'm number one thinking about okay how can we build a strength base and how can we build athleticism into them and then number two we i'm not going to overload them with cues because that's not going to be helpful and that's just going to end with both of us getting super frustrated yeah to, um, to that end I'm, yeah i'm also just a huge fan of giving sort of external cueing um to the athlete or creating an environment where the athlete self-organizes around a task. And this is something that it's interesting because when I was going through my grad school for my teaching and my science uh, grad school work, 
a lot of the science research is talking about, you know, um, auto regulation and, and self self organizing around a task. And, and it's the same language that you actually see in like movement science too now. And so how do you just put a kid in a, in a, in a initial starting position that will get the desirable outcome as opposed to saying like, Hey, I need you to get your hips and shoulders separated. Okay. Alternatively, I'm going to give you this drill. That's going to do that thing. And I might say like, Hey, I need you to, I need you to think about, you know, sitting back like you're sitting into a chair you know or something like that or, or i need you to throw like a one with hitting all the time is like if i'm throwing plyo balls to a hitter it's like hey i need you to hit the ball just pick pick an external target on the wall like above you know this mark and, and it's just i find that to be so much more effective than than actually talking about you know specific things in their body that especially if you're not experienced or not super athletic like they're not going to be able to have a touchstone for that anyways yeah. So that's that's also a big kind of philosophy I have is just how do I set up an environment or give constrain a kid in a drill or with an implement to get the desired outcome? And then how do I get out of the way and let the athlete be an athlete and not sit there and chirp and, and, and just hear myself talk? Yeah. No, I know that's uh I mean you hit on so many good good things. I think it's it's funny even though we do, you know, two totally different you know, interrelated, but totally different professions in terms of, you know, rehab and, and sort of pitching instruction. Um, you know, we do the, we do the same thing from the building the relationship standpoint and kind of the trying to give context to everything that we're doing and why it's important. Um, but right. then the motor learning side and all the cueing and setting up the environment, I think that's been kind of the biggest shift for, for my wife and I in our practice over the last five years is, um, you know, continuing to grow and learn more about that. And there's been a lot of research and, and it's hard sometimes cause you're like, it's, it's so much easier to just try to fix everything. Like, Oh, you did that wrong. Or your hand was a little bit this way or your knee was a little bit that way. And you just want to do all this. And, and, you know, we've really had to stop and kind of have an awareness that like we, it might look better that one, that one moment, but it's right. not going to carry over. And I think in pitching, it's like, the drill doesn't matter The at the end of the day, can you take that onto the mound under right. stress and pressure in a game with a batter in the box and, and actually throw a pitch and, and throw a strike or, or throw the breaking ball that you need to, to actually get somebody out. And that that's the ultimate, you know, success, not how good does he look, you know, doing, doing a drill in a, in a cage that one time. Right. Right. So, we have, you know, we have, and that's an important thing with the athlete too, is to like, think about the goals. Like, yeah, we have a big macro goal of like, all right, we're going to get you ready for opening day or whatever. And we're going to get you ready to compete on opening day. And then within there, you're like setting benchmarks every week, you know, or every couple of weeks. And then even within a single training session, like, all right, our goal is to focus on this one thing. Like we're going to, I'm not going to overload you with all this stuff, but we're going to focus on this one thing. And at the end of the day, the outcome is the, is like the end all be all. So, you know, did you throw a strike to this batter? No, you didn't. Maybe it was a, you know, it just, we weren't successful. You weren't successful. And frankly, as a coach, I wasn't successful with, with my cue, you know, like I need to be better at finding a cue that works for you because maybe a cue works for you or works for, you know, my guy, my lefty starter over here. Maybe I can give him a cue that uh, gets him to not jump out into hip extension. But then my closer, like, like I gave the same cue, doesn't work. So now it's a garbage cue all of a sudden. Um, yeah. And so I got it as a coach. My responsibility is to figure out 
what works. Um, and I think that's where, especially something like having a relationship is really helpful and being transparent and honest with the kid too is really helpful, but just thinking about what works and then debriefing with after the kid afterwards, um, is also, I found to be really kind of effective. Yeah. Um, no, that's, uh, that's awesome. So I know that kind of going through that, that, um, you know, there's, there's obviously a variety of ways to, to throw a baseball. Um, you know, I think you and I have talked before, we both view that the same way and you can look around the, the big leagues and, you know, you can say Garrett Cole has perfect mechanics or a lot of people like Verlander or right. like that. But, you know, in our area, um, you know, Josh Hader, extremely effective, looks visually very different. But I think if you, if you look at all the, all the best throwers, there's some, some commonalities. So, um, you know, at least at certain positions. So I was just wondering with, with high school players, you know, what's some, what are some common, uh, mechanical, you know, if you want to call them flaws or, or inefficiencies, yeah. um, that you see and, and kind of how do you try to go about addressing some of those? Yeah, it's, it's tough. Cause it's really, I mean, it's so variable athlete to athlete in the same way that like, if you were working with college guys or pro guys, I, you know, you'd see a lot of different, um, issues pop up and I think those issues arise from different things like going all the way back to sort of the strength base like do we have an athlete who is like under has underdeveloped strength like is that causing some downstream effects like do we have an athlete who is hypermobile or do we have an athlete who's super stiff um so like I think the thinking about the root cause can solve a lot of these problems but then how that how their body compensates for those problems is where we get into issues. So like something I see all the time and something that like, frankly, like one of my biggest struggles is my arm action is garbage. Like I was taught to feed the giraffe and like, that's like, you know, I, I, it's really hard for me to, to shake that. Like I'm still doing plyo cares to try to re to try to re map my arm action. Um, and is that the like long arm and and turn the ball towards center field? Is that what you mean? Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Yeah. 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 It's Which, one of the most you know, one of the most common things that we still see. <laughs> yeah. And and there are guys who can throw with that longer arm action and get into good spots and still get, you know, good horizontal abduction and like still be really effective, you know, from that position. But um conversely you see a lot of guys who el- whose elbows sort of like leak up real high and, and and not only like causes them, you know, huge losses from a velocity perspective, like I find that a lot of those guys are also struggling with some arm pain issues too. Yeah. Um, including, I mean, me, my whole life. Um, but so that's a big one. And just like thinking about repatterning arm action is something we do all the time. Uh, so we'll use plyo balls for that. We'll do, you know, we love the driveline drills for that. So the um, pivot pickoff drills, huge. I have most of my guys doing scat retractions um, because I think a lot of them, you know, aren't getting their scaps uh, retracted very well and it's screwing up their positive disconnection that they're able to produce, which is essentially like the disassociation between the scapula and the back. Um, and part of that's a strength issue. So again, just thinking about how these he- drills with these heavy balls or overloaded balls are helping to develop, you know, strength as well as motor, much motor learning um, and movement patterning. Um, something I see a lot is guys like pushing into hip extension early. So sort of they're kind of pushing off of the mound. So that's a cue that I was given growing up that I, you know, I still hear coaches giving, which is not a cue that I'd necessarily give. I certainly wouldn't give it, but 
this idea of pushing off of the mound a lot of times pushes that hip into extension and it takes away any, you know, benefit we're going to get from hip shoulder separation. You know, instead we'd rather sort of um, stay loaded and our, and our hips down the mound and then have hip and then have our hips fire before our shoulders and just maintain that hip shoulder separation. Um, So like for a guy that's jumping into hip extension, um, we might program like a modified drop step is something I love program that all the time where you just, you have them get on the rubber and then with their left foot. So if they're right, either their back foot is on the rubber, their front foot, they sort of just, they like um, cross it over their right foot where they're kind of like their heel is kind of at their toes of their right foot. Their heel of their front foot is at the toes of the back foot where their toes of the front foot and kind of whole body is pointed back towards second base center field. Yeah. And then you kind of sit back. And, and that's a pretty effective way to load that hip up and get them feeling that load. Um, but like another thing I'll program with a guy that's doing that is like, we're going to do single leg squats. Like we're going to yeah. do box squats, you know, just to try to get that feeling. So anything yeah. I can do to have kids just not only practice that movement, but just start to have them have some body awareness of that feeling uh, could be really challenging or thinking about having a magnet in your back pocket and like a strong magnet and like the mound is made of metal. You know, like what is like kind of thinking about that works for some kids too. Yeah. That's, I don't remember where I heard that. I stole that from somebody, but that's a pretty decent one that works too. Um, do some people that modified drop step drill, do some people yeah. call that like the plumber, like the plumber's drill? Yeah. Um, yeah. 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 Okay. So yeah. Gotta, yeah Something like that. Guys do that. And yeah, I, I love that. I think you hit on some really good points there though, too, that kind of goes into like, you know, when you see some of these things, just always from a coach's perspective, like, taking a minute and asking like, are we sure the kid can do what you're asking him to do? You know? And right. Um, that's one of the things that, that, you know, some of what you describe with like the scap load and the hip shoulder to separation, like we see, you know, a ton of biggest difference between little leaguers and big leaguers is, is the hip shoulder separation. And um, the young kids tend to fly open and um, everyone like wants the fix for it. And it's like, well, okay could be a mobility restriction but frankly in little kids they're they're often way more mobile than the than the big leaguers um a lot of times they just either don't have the strength and coordination through their core or they don't have the strength through their shoulder blades their their scaps and that scap retraction ends up being what allows their upper body to anchor to stay closed as the lower body you know rotates open towards towards home plate so it's kind of going through those things and and saying like well can they hold that position going down the mound? Right. Can, they, can they hold that closed? And then incorporating all of that. So I think that just kind of that philosophy is, is uh, really good and, and something that we try to encourage kids and families and coaches to really keep in mind. Yeah, and I think it's why too, like in an ideal context, like there's so much overlap between like having a pitching coach and having, you know, somebody that you're working out with, like a trainer and, and like all these guys are in constant communication and, and, and planning together based on that athlete's specific goals. Yeah. Because like in, in my context, I often end up having to do all of it. You know what I mean? Like I'm the right. one writing the, the, the weightlifting program and like, you know, I'm reading through periodization strength training for sports right now. Like I'm trying, nice. like I'm trying to, you know, learn about how to do this effectively and, and use the research, but it's also like, you know, I know what I'm programming right now isn't ideal. Like it yeah. works. It's better than nothing, but it's not 
like I know I'm sure I'll look back in a year and be like, wow, what was I thinking? Yeah. You know what I mean? And it, got a I've got a book I'll send you uh I'll send you after this it uh just came out a couple months ago it's one of the best uh best uh new not new best best training books I've read in a while he just does a great job of like uh kind of taking a bunch of philosophies and options and theories and just putting them in like an easy to read practical like uh actual you know something that you can kind of digest in one one place so I'll uh I'll send you the book, yeah, that, that name, and uh, be some good, some good lockdown reading for you. Yeah, no, that's 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 awesome. And I think like, you know, I think when coaches have like that mindset too, we're like constantly trying to, you know, improve what we're doing. I feel like that that trickles down to the athlete too, where yeah. it's like, all right, this is what I thought was best, but like, hmm, this works better, or like maybe I can do my own research, like literally, like go online and read some things. Like I'll have. I have one kid who's just awesome about that. He'll constantly be like, Hey, I was looking, I was reading this or like, I saw on Instagram this, like, what do you think? Like, do you think it would work for me or do you think this would work? And it's just like, those conversations are really, really helpful. And it's cool to see the kid processing that on their own. And like for him, that looks like him going and doing research like that. For my other kids, it's like, I'll set up a radar gun and then they'll just throw against the, they'll do their plows against the wall and, he's just messing around with his mechanics just ever so slightly. And all of a sudden, boom, like he does a uh, uh, walk and wind up and it jumped, his velo jumped up like five miles per hour. And it's like, Whoa, yeah, like that's like, what did I do? Like, yeah. okay, I want to try that again. And it's like, I try that again. Or for me, as I'm getting older, like if I do the drills and like, I didn't get good sleep the night before, like I notice it right away. Like I, yeah. and I, and I now have data, like if I'm looking at, a radar gun like i now have data to say like yeah i'm like barely able to get 70 on a ball where like i was throwing you know 80 last week yeah like, but i haven't slept at all this week i was up late doing work or whatever you know yeah no exactly no that's uh that's awesome really good stuff so i know uh um you and i are both using kind of some interesting technology you know in particular you're using um uh, a system to help assess your players uh, could you talk about what you find helpful about data technology, um, things like that. And then kind of a little bit of specifically what you're, what you're doing right now and, and how you implement it. Sure. And then like, you know, it's funny cause these are some like evergreen arguments that coaches like to have about data and technology. And like, I, I think data is great. And I think like a lot of coach, I think coaches have been using data for forever, whether that's charting balls and strikes or, looking at you know era like that's all data and and i think now we have technology that helps us get a little bit more granular but also helps us pair the task with like the desired outcome more efficiently so like my favorite piece of tech is just using a a radar gun so like i've got a pocket radar that i hook up to my ipad that displays you know the the velo and like I don't even need to be like monitoring a kid necessarily. Like when we have like open gyms, like that's just something that a kid can set up and then they can just hit off, you know, hit front toss to each other and, and monitor their own, their own exit velocities. And, and again, think about, Oh my God, I just, how did I just jump up eight miles per hour? Like, can I do that again? Or like, I'm going to swing with higher intent, which I didn't mention in my philosophy, but like, I think high intent throwing and, and hitting, frankly, is like everything. Like yeah. you want to throw hard, like then try to throw hard. Like 
I think there are a lot of guys who make it look really easy. Um, but like, I think you got to try to throw hard to throw the ball hard. Yeah, um, absolutely. You need but, to learn, learn how to actually get after it. Yeah, for sure. Like, especially like, and then as you read about like, you know, in a, from like a physiological perspective, like the nervous system and like fast twitch muscles, it's like, yeah, this is, we're trying to make sure your nervous system knows that it's safe to, <laughs> to like do this thing at like, yep. a very high speed under like, it, like more stress. But, um, I, uh, so I use radar guns all the time. Um, just track, just like tracking stuff in Excel spreadsheets over like weeks. It's really me and the head coach have found that to be super helpful. Um, even internally, but also like externally, like send out leaderboards to kids. Um, we had hopes to sort of, you know, it's tough because a lot of the stuff that we wanted to do kind of got cut short this season because yeah. a lot of this stuff, you know, my biggest gripe with technology is that it, it's expensive. So like I have, I've been acquiring all of this, like over the course of three years, like as I can afford it or save up money for it, or, you know, beg for Christmas presents from, from my <laughs> family for it. Right. And so, um, so it's tough, but like another one, another piece of tech that I got that I know we've talked about is I have a 40 motion system, <laughs> which is essentially like a biomechanics um portable lab um it's it's really cool um technology so that it utilizes notch sensors and then uh which are basically measuring velocity acceleration position um and then you hook those up to an athlete with straps and calibrate it have the athlete throw a bullpen um i wasn't able to do too much with it during the open gyms obviously um with the high school level i over December, I worked with a college kid. Uh, when I went back home and visited my parents, I also worked with one of my buddies just screwing around. He plays um, indie ball, and uh, he's a hitter. So we just, again, I just trying to get comfortable with the technology, trying to work out the bugs because a big barrier too for you, like effectively utilizing technology is like developing systems in your practice plan to like roll it out. Yeah. So like there's it takes time it is like relatively disruptive to have a guy um you know he gets all this momentum in the practice from getting warmed up and then it's like all right i need you to come over here like we need you to i need to get all these straps hooked up to you i need to calibrate this okay shoot uh for whatever reason it's not picking up a sensor okay let me try to swap out the sensor okay it's still not working let me reset the whole thing you know and so thinking about ways to like make that as seamless as possible and, and as like less disruptive as possible in the, like the short, very short time that we have at the high school season is like, has been a huge challenge. Um, yeah. And frankly, something I didn't really even get to stress test too much with the shutdown. So um, I, I've been, I've found that it's helpful from like an assessment perspective. So like just getting baseline data where it's like, okay, at foot plant, we're getting, you know, 20 degrees of hip shoulder separation and like we're shooting for, you know, like 45, whatever, right? Like between 30 and 45 or whatever it is. Like, okay, let's let's think about how we can, like what drills then would I program? Like I might program, uh, you know, like a, like a drop step drill or something like that, right? Right. Try to get a little bit more rotational or, or okay, and you're fit, like when we're programming lifts, like, going to program maybe some rotational med ball slams just to, right. again to try to get you to feel some things so thinking about i like that's that's really the only way i have used it up to this point um, yeah 
And I think going forward, that's how I would continue to use it is like use baseline assessments and like retest and retest every couple of weeks. So like maybe after a training cycle, like after a four to six week training period, okay, it's going to be an assessment day. Let's get you strapped up and do a whatever 15 pitch bullpen <coughs> with the sensors on. Yeah, no, that's kind of, it's kind of how we use it too, is it's a nice way to get objective information and it can put everything together, you know, like, the coach's eye is great, but I mean, throwing a baseball is still the fastest human motion we've ever recorded right. in a motion capture lab. So, um, you know, it can just be a nice adjunct to um, really get granular on what they're actually doing and, and making sure that everyone's got a clear, clear path forward to, to make sure we're doing the right stuff to help the kids, you know, develop. Yeah, I totally agree. To that end though, like thinking about if you're a high school coach who like maybe you don't have a budget or to, to pay for the tech, like your phone is like, you know, just take a video is like the best thing ever. Like I will take video all the time of guys throwing pens and yeah. Oh, especially now with the remote training, like I can go back through and look at old video and, and mark it up on my phone or my iPad or whatever and record myself talking about it, send it back to the kid just to give him more data. Yeah. So, no, that's, uh, that's awesome. Okay. So, and, uh, kind of looking at baseball as much as we continue to learn about throwing a baseball, um, arm injuries are still, still going up. I mean, just looking, I think with the major league shutdown here, uh, a month or so ago, I mean, it was just a wave of pitchers that elected to go ahead and get Tommy John, um, surgery done that have probably been having arm pain off and on for a while. Um, Everyone that walks into my office with a sore elbow thinks it's their mechanics that, that caused their injury. Um, what do you see on the, on the arm injury front? Um, do you see mechanics contributing to it? Do you see anything else from a pitching coach standpoint that kids could be doing to keep their arms healthy? Yeah, I mean, so I've been really lucky to not – a lot of my guys haven't had – I've not had, like, any real acute knock-on-wood arm injuries. Uh, that are from like throwing I've had, I have a, a pitcher who got like a bad slap tear diving back into a bag, but like, you know, it's kind of a different question, but uh, I, I think, and again, just going back, especially like thinking about my experience in college and like the guys that I knew growing up, like one of my good buddies um, just got Tommy John last week from a, from old injuries that, you know, we're bugging him still. So he, uh, I think a big thing is like as a coach, actually, let me back up. You asked, do I think mechanics are the issue? Yes and no. Right. Like I think the body's going to self-organize to be efficient. And if you have some type of either mobility deficiency or strength deficiency, um, or like maybe in programming your off season work or like your on-ramping period, like maybe your on-ramping period wasn't big enough. So like, was your body ready for the stress of throwing a baseball? Um, I think those are probably the bigger contributors or like the things that are upstream causing mechanical errors. Yeah. Um, so like my, like I, like I really struggled with my arm action. Like I also know my thoracic mobility is atrocious, right? Like I have terrible like thoracic mobility. So like, as I 
like if I wanted to like actually get serious about throwing the ball hard, I'm going to like be really intentional about working on my thoracic mobility as well as really try to repattern my arm action to be more efficient. Um, the, the, the research with the arm injury stuff is really interesting because it seems like there's not clear consensus yet. And I think like it's going to be really hard to get clear consensus. Um, just because there's so many variables and you know, you can't go and like do an experiment where like you go have people blow their arm out and see what <laughs> happens. Right. So it's like, it's sort of reactive. Um, yeah. But you know, just from like a coaching perspective, like things that I consider to try to prevent arm injuries, like, like managing volume, like depending on like, as I'm sitting down and planning out, like a throw program for the athlete, like number one, I'm thinking about, all right, what are we trying to do here? Like, are we trying to throw the ball harder? Are we trying to throw the like strikes more consistently? Are we working on off-speed stuff? What's our time frame slash what part of the year is it? Right. So like <clears throat> if I've got a guy who hasn't come to like if I've got a guy who I've never met before who shows up to tryouts and is a pitcher, it's like, all right, we've got three weeks before our first game. I don't know, like, I'm going to try to really monitor volume to make sure he's, like, not going to go kill himself, like, with his arm. But, like, it's a very different approach than, like, if if I'm working with a guy who, like, doesn't start his high school season for, you know, let's say it's October and he wants to get stronger, like, okay, I've got uh, plenty of time to onboard this kid to maybe do a velocity development, to blend a mound, to do all of these things that would be like super ideal. Um, But again, considering like, all right, is he also playing basketball? Like, is he also playing football? Like I got a kid that goes to a different, goes to a different school in Milwaukee who I have been working with on and off. And he like, he's a starting quarterback, starting point guard and, you know, a pitcher. And it's like, yeah, we work out when we can, but he's got, he got so many other things going on. It's like planning around that can be really challenging. Yeah. Well, and we live in Wisconsin. So throwing outside is uh, not always, not always good. Right. Which is another huge barrier for me, like finding space to do some of these things. Like I've given lessons in like the school I teach it. Like, like, (laughs) (laughs) yeah, I mean, literally like, so it's, you know, if you don't have a place to go, to go throw, to get your throwing work in or like, that's the one thing with the plyo balls too. It's like, if you don't have a set of plyo balls, like it's a lot harder to go get your work, even with them, even having them in your house, like it's still hard to get that yeah. work in. If, if you're not a like super motivated and B like have a place to do that. Um, so I think managing volume is really important. I think listening to your body, super important. Like I, I reflect back on my own experience and like my, my roommate and best friend ever, who was a, a pitcher um, with me in college, he, uh, he like he was a beast in the weight room like we would go work out twice a day and just go kill it like we loved it like we would go put put up big numbers on the bench big numbers on the squat then we'd do it again the next day and again the next day and again the next day twice a day sometimes and he literally broke his back squatting i mean he literally you know yeah cracked his vertebrae right and and (laughs) at some point we we could have predicted that and like his body (laughs) both of our bodies told us to like chill out like at multiple points during that like before we got to that point so like instead of like i know like it's so hard because you like as an athlete especially someone that's like wants to achieve at a high level like you're usually super driven super motivated 
just want to work really hard, which is a great, like obviously hard work is really important, but there's also working smart and being responsible about like yeah. your recovery. So like if I've got, if I've got guys th- like on a hybrid B day, which is like a lower intent throwing day, like RPE should be about 80% or so. Like, and I see him like opening it up with like a plyo ball. It's like, Whoa, what are you doing? Like, I need you to like, this is 80%. This isn't like, I'm not trying to have you go kill it right now. Or I get a guy in a, like a, one of my high school guys, like I would program a lift if he would go do another two lifts after. And it's like, listen, man, like there's a, there's a method to the madness. And like, that's on me for not like explaining that as well as I could have, but like, during this phase, this is what we're trying to get like achieve. And like, this is how we're going to achieve it. Yeah. Right. And like, so I would really appreciate if you like, you didn't do that. Cause I need you to be at a, like a hundred percent in two days to like get after it again. Yeah. No, so. I think that's, I think that's really good advice. I mean, I think, you know, you kind of hit on it perfectly with the research. Like we have stuff in a motion capture lab that we know what increases valgus torque on the elbow, which, you know, the theory is that, maybe that increases the risk of injury, but the fact is that that's just hasn't really been able to be proven. You know, it, it, right. There's guys that have some of those things and don't get hurt and guys that do, um, kind of the, the workload aspect is, is definitely something that has come out where, uh, either throwing way too much or throwing not enough, um, outside of just pitching in games and stuff can, can put, put guys at risk. But, you know, we don't have the the magic bullet. And then unfortunately right now, fortunately or unfortunately, you know, the, the one, one thing that does definitely increase your risk is, is higher, higher velocity, but that's, it's also what is going to take you right now in the sport to play beyond high school, beyond college and, and into the pros is, is that. So there's definitely, definitely trade-offs on that side. Right. So, yeah, um, for sure. Our, I don't want to. I don't want to put you uh, too much in the uh, crosshairs, but um, we're going to go into a controversial subject. So, throwing weighted baseballs seems like there's no nuance in this discussion, especially on the internet. Um, yeah. Either you have to throw weighted balls all the time, or you know you're you're a weighted ball guy, quote unquote, or you know if you pick up a weighted baseball, your arm's going to blow up. <laughs> so right. What uh, what what's your take on weighted balls? Um, you know, who should be using them, who shouldn't be using them? Um, you know, kind of where do you stand on it? Yeah. I mean, I think that weighted balls are really valuable, like implement to use for most athletes. Like I think a lot of the research supports like overload and underload training as an effective like modality for increasing like most metrics we would care about. Um, and like, to your point about um, like stressors on the arm, like throwing harder causes more stress, but like throwing a heavier ball also is going to cause more stress. And that's probably a good thing to have the body be able to adapt to a more stressful environment, especially like, you know, and everybody's running into the situation if you played a sport before, but like you, when you actually go compete, you know, you've got adrenaline pumping through your body. Like you're feeling good. Like you, like you will also likely impart more stress on your body because like, you know, just the intensity of the situation. Right. Yeah. Um, so to kind of prepare yourself for that, I think weighted balls are a great way to do that. Um, I think, uh, it's also like going back to what I was saying about like being able to like having athletes like auto-regulate around a task. Like if, 
if you were throwing like a like a bowling ball, like you're not gonna let your like your throwing hand get way out away from your body. Like that's gonna hurt. Like that's gonna hurt a lot. Right. Like I, go pick up a heavy object and hold it out and try to throw it hard. Like that's gonna really not be great. So like I think it's really an effective tool for patterning some of these more efficient positions that we know are more efficient and yeah. like we know are frankly better for the arm too. So yeah, I I think the people who I, I think there's like legitimate criticisms and like to me though those criticisms are like it's expensive <laughs> like like having a set of weighted balls like it for like if less you're going to a gym every day like and and working out at that gym and doing it there it's like it's like you got to buy a set for yourself and that's really like cost prohibitive for certain people like yeah. and that sucks you know it's not like you can just go out and like you can go out and just go throw a baseball against a net by yourself. And like, that's cheap to do. If you can go right. like to a high school field and find a net, but like, I think like, to me, that's like a, that's like a more, not more legitimate, but like that, that's like a legitimate criticism or frustration that I have. But yeah. for, as far as like a modality that to increase velocity and also like improve like movement patterning, like movement quality and uh, efficiency, like I think weighted balls are great for that. I think the research like by and large supports that. Yeah. I mean, I think it, it's just, like I said, I think there's, there's no nuance to the discussion right now. It's like, right. I mean, is, if you were to go and throw 300 weighted balls and you haven't touched a baseball in a year, that might not be good. And right. if you can't do one single leg squat and you're not strong enough to, you know, even, you know, hold certain positions, like maybe there's other stuff just kind of low hanging fruit, like, you should right. be able to hold a plank and you know there's certain things that would probably benefit you at certain points more than that but that doesn't make them um bad and they can be used safely appropriately um you know kind of with proper guidance and programming and things just just like you know anything else you could take something that's really good for someone and do it way too much and it ends up being being bad it's just a dosage right. thing yeah and i think like especially if you've got a guy brand new to weighted balls, like, like monitoring them for the first couple of weeks is really important. Yeah. And like being able to like explain like, all right, here's how this drill works. Like, here's what we're going to do. Here's like what I want your RP to be on this day. Um, <clears throat> I think it's like essential. Like if you just have, if you go just buy a kit of weighted balls and then just go give them to the kids and say like, have at it. Like part of me thinks there probably would be some benefit, but like the other <laughs> part of me thinks like, all right, that seems like a pretty easy way to get yeah. hurt, especially to your point, if they're not coming in with some baseline level of strength. So like, like driveline, uh, like in their programming that like you could get from them with track and stuff, like they recommend usually like two to four weeks of onboarding minimally before you're throwing like high right. intent baseballs, which frankly, like <laughs> for a lot of young guys, it's probably should be like more like four to six or six to eight weeks of right. pretty serious onboarding where like, you're working out three to four times a week and like we're loading you up and then we're deloading you and like we're then going to load you up again. And like through that process, like we'll mix in some weighted ball throwing too. And like, like introduce you to these weighted balls. So it's very different. If I've got a guy who's like totally undertrained and has never thrown a weighted ball, like you're going to approach that totally differently than if you've got a guy who has some history of throwing weighted balls and he's like a beast in the weight room. And, you know, it's just an apples and oranges kind of situation. Yeah. Yeah, no, absolutely. 
All right. Well, that was uh, that was really good. So usually we we end the podcast with kind of a lightning round of some fun questions, but I'm going to do something a little different. So um, I know we're going to do a whole separate podcast on this with uh, with um, Randy, but um, so we don't have to go too much in depth. But I'm very, I have a ton of respect for for your passion for helping kids and trying to create opportunities for for players to develop. Um, so I just wanted to see if you could spend, you know, just briefly kind of tell us about what you do with what the RBI program is and, and what you guys do and, and who you're trying to help with that. Yeah. So, um, I, I'm really fortunate to be involved with, um, the Milwaukee Brewers RBI program, um, which stands for reviving baseball in the inner city. Essentially every major city in the country has an RBI program. Um, most of them are affiliated with the major league team in the, in the city too. Um, but like Indianapolis has a program, they don't have a major league team. So there's some exceptions there obviously, but um, yeah, I got, I got involved this past summer is my first summer with those guys. Um, and, you know, just like how I got really lucky with Riverside, like I got really lucky with RBI, like uh, coach Randy, Randy Hogan, he is somebody who has been great to learn from and like, he just recently um, took over the program in the last couple of years and just his passion uh, for like turning this program into something really special in Milwaukee is like one of the reasons why I'm so excited about it. So um, we basically, what it is is you basically uh, create baseball opportunities for kids who like might otherwise not have those opportunities. So like I know as a fact, like for me, like so many doors opened in my life because of baseball, you know, and, and college and, and, like the people I met and like jobs and, and my best friends in the whole world were all due to baseball. Like I know baseball is a great thing to have and to expand the reach of baseball is like super important. So like in the city, baseball has been down for a long time and there's a lot of reasons for that. And I think like, I don't, I don't think that needs, I don't think that needs to be the case. I think Milwaukee could be like, one of the best baseball cities in the Midwest. Like, I think yeah. there's absolutely no reason for that to be the case, but um, it's hard, man. It's expensive. It's an expensive sport. And it's, you know, I, uh, like I had a buddy come visit who uh, like works for MLB and he like, we like created, we like made a pickup game uh, and like just the difficulty we had of like reserving a field and getting equipment. And like, I work at a school, I work for, I work at a, uh, school full-time I work at a coach at a high school full-time and like I'm really connected to baseball in the city and like it was still challenging to like yeah. get a field together get guys together so um, and it's really expensive obviously so just creating opportunities for kids who like might otherwise not get the chance for whatever reason is kind of it's kind of what it's about it's about frankly getting kids to the next level and getting kids to the show I mean yeah taking kids from Milwaukee and making the major league baseball players is the dream and along the way we'll have ton of kids go to college play baseball in college we'll have a ton of kids play baseball in high school and that'll be it but they'll have good experiences because of that right so yeah. it's um it's a really cool organization i'm really looking forward to uh sitting down all three of us because i think like i'm just really feel so lucky about like thinking about my baseball family tree and you know where i came from and my friends doing stuff all over the country and then here in milwaukee like they just the, the the community i found in milwaukee that i coach with is just like phenomenal whether it's riverside or the guys in mps or whether it's um you know rbi and randy and those guys so yeah just no, just really an awesome organization yeah no that's uh that's awesome i'm looking forward to 
doing another uh, sitting down with you guys and, and talking through that and learning more about it. So Max, I really appreciate the time today. It was a great conversation. I hope that the Milwaukee area baseball players are able to take a lot away from this interview. Um, if anybody's interested, is there anywhere online that they can learn more about you and, and uh, get in touch with you? Yeah, you can. Uh, I'm on Twitter. You can just hit me up on Twitter. I actually think it's just Max Cormier. So M-A-X underscore C-O-R-M-I-E-R. Um, I'm like 90% sure that's it. Otherwise, you can uh, send me an email. My email. Yeah, it's Max Cormier. That's right. My email is uh, mcor27 at gmail.com. Um, or you can just, you know, you can give me a call. My uh, number is 248-914-2503. Uh, feel free to give me a call or ring if you want to talk baseball or talk coaching or talk Milwaukee or whatever, whatever it is. So awesome. Well, thanks again, Max. And thank you for to everyone for listening and we'll see you guys on the next episode. Cool. Thanks a lot. Appreciate it. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Milwaukee sports performance podcast. We hope you enjoyed this episode and learned something new that will help you achieve your goals. If you did, we would love for you to head over to Instagram and search MKE Sports Podcast. Like, follow, or comment on today's episode. If you have questions, comments, topics, or guest suggestions, reach out through that Instagram account. Your feedback will help us make this podcast as relevant and informative as possible. If you have additional time, we'd appreciate your help in spreading this information. If you could head over to iTunes and leave us a rating and review, it will help us spread the word to more athletes in the greater Milwaukee area. Have a great day, and we will see you next time.